You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing and take your Bibles. And today, um, Bethany's asked if we could just leave the kids in here. So we're going to give her a try. And all the parents said, oh, boy, that hurt. Well, we're going to do We're going to make our best effort. You know, I would tell you that uh, if the kids get to acting up too bad, I'll cut it short. But um, then you'll probably pinch the kids or rile them up just to get them to act bad. So you might be able to get out of here a little bit early. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, when I look back over my life, there were a lot of times when things financially were tight. Amen. Uh, Sheila and I, when we went to New Orleans and I went to seminary down at New Orleans, uh, we were so poor. I remember Amy was just a baby. We did not even have the money. We were walking around in a mall down there. We didn't have money to buy an ice cream. And I'll never forget, we cried. And uh, I was working at Napa, working at the warehouse there in New Orleans and making about $4 and something an hour. It wasn't enough for us to live on. We were living on the campus. And I had a friend of mine one one day. We were heading to uh, the Napa Warehouse there in Jefferson, there in uh, New Orleans to go to work. And we passed by Cy Freightline. You may have seen their trucks, these red trucks. Cy Freightline, he said, man, I hear they're paying nearly $10 an hour. Well, in 1980, that was a lot of money. That was more than twice what I was making at Napa. So the next day I went in and applied for a job. I got it. And immediately Sheila and I, we doubled our income. It was a whole different world. We eventually left that job. We took a, we took a cut in salary. We've done that several times. We took a cut in salary, went to our first church where we were making $200 a week. And by that time, we had Amy, we had Emily, and eventually Ledge would be on the way. And, and, and you know, again, times were just tough. It, it was tough. Uh, but we learned to make it. God, God always took care of us. Now, today we're looking at stewardship. We're looking at giving. And Paul is closing out this letter to this church at Corinthians, this uh, church at Corinth. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and let me get you to, you know, quiet your phones, because that can get kind of annoying sometimes. So you quiet your phone, get them on silent, and uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're looking at the first four verses. I, you know, John, I know I didn't correspond with you. Normally I do with John. He'll put the, put the title up and go ahead and begin to put it on Facebook or social media. I didn't do that. And I really didn't know what to title this. I thought about just giving with a question mark. Then I thought about giving until it hurts. But then I thought, John, I think the title for this message is Giving Until It Heals. Giving Until It Heals. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. Now Paul said, now about the collection for God's people, everybody look this way. This is a carnal church that has a lot of problems. 
I mean, they have incest. They have drunkenness at the Lord's Supper. They, they're factious. They've got a lot of problems. This is a bad church with some really bad members. But Paul calls them saints, hagios. He calls them believers, followers of Christ. Now, Paul was answering questions. He answered questions about marriage, about remarriage. He answered questions about some of the disciplinary problems within the church. But they also must have asked questions about the offering. And so Paul here in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 says, Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with their gift to Jerusalem. You see, there were a lot of broken, hurting Jewish people in Jerusalem that once they identified with Jesus Christ, they lost everything. So Paul is trying to assist the broken, the hurting, and the poor in Jerusalem. Verse 4, if it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you and we give you glory. And we pray, dear Lord, that you'll open up our hearts. Speak to us, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Bob Smith, everybody knows Bob. Bob was a blind man, lost two children, uh, had a great impact, influence in my life. The first time I met Bob was in a Mexican restaurant in Jackson. Later, I invited Bob to come to our church and to preach a revival. And I'll never forget Bob teaching Sheila and I something that we have remembered to this day. You cannot outgive God. Sheila and I, like I said, we were making $200 a week. We didn't have nothing. We were poor as dirt. And I think Bob's first offering that we got for Bob was a love offering of $600. A few days later, we got a check in the mail from Bob and Betty Smith. And it, it was a, a check for $100. Now, in 1982, $100 meant something. And he had this note. He said, I drank a lot of coffee and I just wanted to give you something to replace all the coffee that I drank. Well, let me tell you, Bob Smith drank a lot of coffee, but he didn't hear about drink a hundred dollars. And we learned something. You see, Bob told us, listen, Bob Smith told us not only systematic tithing, Bob told us how to be generous and just to give. And it was a lesson that Sheila and I have practiced for the last 40-something years of our marriage. We were listening and watching a special on Elvis Presley. I don't know if you know this or not, but Elvis Presley was an unbelievable giving man. It was said that Elvis Presley gave over 200 Cadillacs in his life. He died at 42. It was said, his friend said that he would sometimes drive by a car dealership and he loved a Cadillac because Elvis Presley was just dirt poor. To tell you what kind of man he was, when Elvis Presley was a boy, his family, they lived in Tupelo. And a friend said that one day a young African-American kid went by. He said they lived in the black section of Tupelo. And this black kid went by 
And he looked at Elvis, and Elvis was sitting there. Now, they were poor as dirt, but he had, a, he had an ice cream cone, and he was in a, eating an ice cream cone. He said that little African-American kid came up, sat next to him, and said, man, that looks good. I sure wish I could have some of that ice cream. Elvis said, well, go right ahead, take you a few licks. Turned, and that guy sat there. He licked a few times. He licked it. And you have to understand that in that particular time, about the 1940s, that was not, that was unheard of. And somebody said that was just the heart of Elvis Presley. It was said that one time he was giving a concert when there was a little girl in a wheelchair sitting up toward the front. Elvis Presley had a ring on his finger. At a certain point, he walked down to where that little girl sitting in her wheelchair, he pulled that ring off and handed it to her. And I think kissed her on the cheek or the forehead or on top of her head. His friend said at that time in the 19, I think that was in the 1960s, that ring cost over $30,000. It said that he constantly gave cars away, gave jewelry away. A friend of his said one day, he was working in a radio station. He didn't have nothing. He was poor, had very little. And he said they called him the, Myth, the Memphis Mafia. Said some of Elvis's friends went by and said, hey, man, you got you to leave and go with us. He said, man, I'm getting ready to go on the air. Said, well, Elvis wants to talk to you. He wants to meet with you. He said, man, I can't. And so finally he called the station manager. The station manager said, listen, go ahead. It's Elvis Presley. You go ahead and uh, get the guy to stay a little longer until you get back. His guy said he went to the, they were driving along and he, he thought they were going to Graceland. He got to Graceland and they passed right past Graceland where Elvis lived. He said, hey guys, where are we going? They said, just hang on. They pulled up in the Cadillac place and there wasn't a soul around. It was black, dark. You could, I mean, it was, every light was off. There was nothing, nobody around. He said, man, what are we doing here? He said, and then he thought to himself, well, Elvis done got him another car. He loves a Cadillac and Elvis loved cars. He said he got ready. He walked up to the door and the door of the Cadillac place, even though it was dark, he said he pulled the door and it opened. And all of a sudden, every light came on. And there in the middle of the Cadillac place was sitting Elvis Presley sitting in a chair. And beside him was a yellow Cadillac, brand new 1960-something Cadillac convertible. And he looked at his friend, and the friend walked over, and he said, Man, what, did you get you a new car? And, the, and Elvis said, Hold out your hand. And he dropped the keys to that brand new Cadillac in his hands. And, and the friend looked at him and said, Elvis, I can't let you do this, man. This is too much. He stood up and said he wrapped his arms around him and he hugged him. And he said these words. He said, what is fame and fortune for if it's not to give away? Let me tell you something. You know, one of the great joys of being a Christian is to give. You know, Sheila and I, we're we're givers by nature. It's just who we are. It's one of those qualities, I think, that draw that drew us to each other. You know, sometimes opposites attract. You get a frugal, miserly person that marries somebody that's just free-spirited and gives it all away. And sometimes they balance each other out. But Sheila and I, in our case, we, just, we, we like to give. We've always been that way. I remember one time in Zimbabwe, I was coming home, been out in Chitanguiz, out in the village, and, and, and it was coming home out in the township. And, and I saw a guy and I thought, man, she's already laughing. I thought, that guy's shirt looks familiar. 
And I, I thought, that looks just like that shirt of mine. That looks like my favorite shirt. And I got home, I walked in, Sheila was getting lunch ready. I said, Sheila, I saw a guy that had a shirt on, you know, in Zimbabwe. It's really unheard of. I saw a guy in, Zim, in Zimbabwe, Africa. I said, I saw a guy who had a shirt just like my shirt. And she looked at me, she just kept working. I said, Sheila, she said, that was your shirt. I gave it to him. He didn't have a shirt. It's fun to give, isn't it? It ought to be who we are. I was filling in one time for Chip Henderson. Chip Henderson is the pastor of Pine Lake, but Chip was down in Macomb and he had asked me to fill in for him. And, and so I filled in and, and, and we just had a great service. I'll never forget a senior adult coming up to me and she said, you know, I'm worried we're not going to be able to keep our pastor. And I said, why? She said, because he's such a giving man. And she went on to tell this story. She said, one day, she said, my husband was sick. Things couldn't have been any worse. When all of a sudden our grass had gotten tall and we looked out there and there was Chip Henderson on a lawnmower cutting our grass. You see, let me tell you something. It is fun to give. And we're not just talking about money. In fact, I wrote this principle down. God is not trying, listen, to get a blessing to you. God is trying to get a blessing through you. He's not looking for reservoirs. He's looking for rivers. You know, some people are like the Dead Sea. You know what the Dead Sea? The Dead Sea, the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, and there it stays. you got this beautiful freshwater river flowing into the Dead Sea, and once it flows in there, nothing flows out. It just dies there. And some believers, some Christians who profess to be Christians, listen, they, they don't have a giving spirit. Now listen to me. Everybody look this way. When you and I repent of our sin and we turn our life over to Jesus Christ, now listen, Jesus Christ comes to live in our hearts, right? Now let me tell you something. Did he, was he a giving? Most giving person that ever lived. He just gave everything away. You know what he said? He said, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. Did you know that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, did you know that he was homeless? Do you know that he didn't have anything? And do you know why? And do you know at the very end of his life, he gave his life? Do you realize that if you're a Christian, that the spirit of Jesus Christ is living in you? And if you're greedy and miserly, if you don't have a giving spirit, then my friend, you have either quenched the indwelling Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit is not there. It's who we are. We're just by nature that way. And the danger is sometimes, you know, I read, I read of a businessman, he, uh, he, the pastor came to see him one day and the pastor went up that elevator, walked into that immaculate office where this church member had just kind of hit it big and was very wealthy. And, and the pastor could see that man changing in his heart. And so he walked in, that businessman jumped up and said, Pastor, it's so good to have you here. Man, he was all excited, said, sit down. Pastor said, well, no. And the pastor is kind of looking around his office, unbelievable office. And he walked over to the mirror in that high-rise office in the top of that building. And he called that man over, this wealthy, affluent man that was just literally turning the business world upside down. He said, what do you see out there? Well, they were looking down at the streets and there were people moving. And he said, well, I, 
I see the sky, I see trees, but I see people. They're just moving everywhere. And then he walked over and he said, come here. He walked over and there was a big mirror in that office. He walked over and he said, what do you see now? Businessman looked at the pastor and he said, well, I see a reflection of me. He said, it's amazing what a little silver can do to glass. You can turn a window into a mirror. It's amazing how people's character can change when they get a little bit of money. Let me ask you something. You ever seen a wealthy man die? Anybody seen a wealthy man or woman die? Anybody? I have. They die just like a poor man. Just like a poor woman. Exactly alike. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. After driving an ambulance for for years and picking up affluent people sometimes, when you carry them to the funeral home, and I'm going to be blunt, and they lay their old, they lay their butt on the stainless steel table and begin to drain that blood and fill them with embalming fluid. Listen, it doesn't matter how much money they have, what kind of home they live in, what kind of car they drive, makes no difference whatsoever. They're treated exactly the same. You see, that's the reality. In fact, Jesus said this. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Turn from 1 Corinthians. Hold your finger at 1 Corinthians. But I want you to go to Matthew chapter 6. How important is what I'm saying? Well, it must be really important because it was so important that Jesus included it in the Sermon on the Mount. Watch what he said here in Matthew chapter 6 beginning at verse 19. And when you get there, say amen. Are you there? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures where? Let's say it together. Where? In heaven. In heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in. Now look at verse 21. Dog ear that page. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is that not true? You see, some of you here, you ain't got time. You don't have time for church. You don't have time to read your Bibles. You don't have time to do anything for God. Because see, your treasure is somewhere else. Your treasure is not here. Your treasure is not in the Word of God. Your treasure is not in your relationship with Christ. Your treasure is not in the fellowship of other believers. You know where your treasure is? We can look at your checkbook and tell where your treasure is. Your treasure may be your home. Your treasure may be your car. Your treasure may be your children. Your treasure may be your favorite ball team. Your treasure may be whatever hobby you have, your country club, your sport, whatever it may be. You don't have to tell us where your heart is. We know. We can see it. We can see it. And Jesus said, you know, some people, they'll profit the whole world and they'll lose their soul. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, Paul, watch what Paul says here. Because in verse 1, he first of all talks about the collection. He says here, now about the collection with God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. You know, I've never, I've never, you know, I've never preached and talked a lot about, about giving and stewardship. But do you know that one-sixth of the gospel 
is about giving? Do you know that one-third of the parables is about giving? Do you know that Jesus would call Satan money? That was his nickname. He called his arch-spiritual enemy, he called him money. Because you and I know the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? I remember when I first came here, Irene and Eloise, precious, two precious people. Some of you remember them, some of you may not. But they were sitting in the office, and I came, and, this, and they were showing me around. They wanted me to see the church, see the facility, and the pulpit committee was talking to me. And I went in, and there was Irene and Eloise, and they were just as busy. They were just working feverishly. They had a stack of cards, and, they, and I said, what are y'all doing? They said, oh, we're getting ready to send out the pledge cards. And, and you know Irene. I, I didn't, I, I, and uh, me and Irene got along, but buddy, it was like oil and water sometimes. And I, I didn't catch myself, this young pastor, I was about 40, you know what I said? I said, well, we won't be doing that no more if I come here. And when it came to finances and money and stewardship, Irene was a tiller the hun. She was a policeman when it came to that. But I looked at them and I said, after that, I said, we won't be doing that no more. And they said, why? I said, because sometimes churches only visit when they go to visit with the pledge card. I said, we're not going to do that. I said, I've never begged anybody to give to God, and I'm not about to start now. And they talked about, well, buildings. I said, let me tell you, I have never led anybody in a building campaign. When we got ready to build, we built. So the reality is, as Paul's talking here about the collection, is the collection important? You better believe it is. You know, we, you know, we, uh, here recently, we put the plates back there. Why? Because we, because it just gotten irritating to me. Hey, yeah, come on. We're going to collect the offering. And I'm sitting there looking at people, some people in tears, some people at the cross, and I'm thinking to myself, we are not going to quench God's Holy Spirit by rallying up some men to, to walk up and down with the, with the plates. We're not going to do that. You people know we can't provide this atmosphere, pay for these lights, have air conditioning, do the things that we do without the money to be able to do it. You've got sense enough to know that. We shouldn't have men... Coming down the aisle, seeing if you'll flip a coin to God or not. That's not what God's called us to do. And after COVID, a lot of people didn't want to touch anything. You know, six feet apart, mask on, you know, they didn't want to touch the plate. Boy, that's Baptist, isn't it? A lot of people do online giving, that's fine too. But my friend, give. And that's what Paul was saying. Paul undoubtedly spoke about the offering, much of which, listen, would go, as we said, to the Jewish converts in Jerusalem. I love what John MacArthur said in his commentary on this. Listen to what he said. He said, Paul wanted the collection to express the spiritual oneness of the church. Wow. You know what the word Paul uses here in the Greek? He uses the word kononia. It's the word we get, our word fellowship. Listen, everybody stay with me. The Corinthians were almost all Gentiles. The people he was collecting for were Jews. Remember, they didn't like each other. They didn't get along. But now they're part of the body of Christ. 
Paul is getting Gentiles to gather up and collect to take money to Jerusalem to those poor suffering Jews. Spiritual oneness. I always love this. My mom years ago, my mom was a tightwad. Mom, forgive me. But she was. My mom was frugal, tight. I used to tell dad, I said, dad, when you die, I said, I'm going to get a backhoe and I'm going to dig up the whole yard because mom surely done buried some, some money out here in this yard somewhere. But I'll never forget one time, somebody, one of the family members, they kind of pulled mom off to the side and they said, now, you know, Louise, um, you need your own checking account. You need your own savings account. You need to have your own stuff, your own name. Man, it burnt my dad up. It made him, and I think it was one of his family members. And he looked at my mom, and he he looked at that person. I think he actually went to that family member. He said, this checkbook has her name and my name. He said, this savings has her name and my name. Our retirement, her name and my name. He said, it's all in her name and my name. She could clean me out. She could walk away with everything I've got. My friend, hear me. When you fall in love with somebody, it's no longer his and hers. You know, we never had his and hers towels. It was all just ours. All the same. You know, there's something when people come together financially. You ever notice that? You ever notice when you help somebody who's hurting, how you feel a fellowship with them you normally don't feel? So all of a sudden, God puts on your heart to go help somebody. You do that, that act of obedience. That person looks at you and says, you know, I can't believe you did this. You'll never know. I was at a bad place. I was at a dark time. Financially, we were struggling. And you're saying, well, God just put you on my heart. And you know what? You have a fellowship with that person for the rest of your life. There's kononia. There's fellowship in that. When couples get married, this idea of his and hers... Hey, listen, that's a bunch of garbage, and that's of the enemy. If you can't agree on finances, then, my friend, you're going to be in trouble in your marriage. That's the bottom line. Sheila and I, we don't have a lot, but I guarantee what we have, we share. Now, Paul said this is the collection, but he also talked about the conditions. Watch what he says in verse 2. He said, on the first day of every week... Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So first of all, Paul said, listen, he kindly gives not only collection, he gives the conditions. He said, listen, it's systematic weekly giving. Now you may say, well, I only get paid once a month. I only get paid twice a month. Well, it's still setting aside every week that which you've set aside to give to the Lord, to give to the Lord's work. It's a spiritual discipline. Let me tell you something, mom and dad, listen to me. You need to be teaching this to your children right now. Did you hear me? You need to be teaching, giving, tithing, spiritually giving. You need to teach that right now. Every child, children will love this. Every child should get an allowance. Now, it's not a freebie. They should have certain responsibilities. Sophie, are you listening to this? You're going to love it. She just nodded her head and said, yes. I think she's actually writing it down. Every child should get an allowance. But every child ought to get an allowance. 
But that allowance is not just simply for them being your child. That allowance is that you've given them certain responsibilities. Now, you clean your room, do your homework, help mom out with the dishes, help dad in the yard, and and this is your allowance. Now, then you sit down and say, now listen, if I give you $2 allowance, you need to set aside something for church, for the Lord's work. Children begin to learn. Now, let me ask you something, parent. Why are you doing that? Is it all just simply because the church needs it? Absolutely not. You know what you're teaching them? You're teaching them financial discipline. Because some children, they can't keep nothing in their pocket. If they've got a dollar and 17 cents, they figured out I can buy a bag of M&Ms, I can buy four pieces of bubble gum, and, 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 and I think that'll spend all $1.17. They're trying to figure out how to spend it. Listen, they'll have no financial accountability, and they'll make a poor teenager and a poor adult, and you'll have to apologize to their spouse. You know what the number one reason for divorce is? You think it's adultery? No. What do you think it is? Money. Most people can't work in marriage. They can't seem to figure this one out. Hey, listen, and I don't have this very often. They can't figure out what's in that money clip there. In other words, this is what Satan, this is what Satan uses to destroy a lot of relationships, a lot of marriages, a lot of homes. And let me tell you something. If mom and dad are not agreeing with, uh, with biblical stewardship. The children, if you're not teaching them, they'll be a thorn in your flesh. You'll be bailing them out all the time. You'll be giving them money, paying for the gas, giving them a car, giving them this, giving them that. You'll be giving their whole life and never grow up. So you're teaching spiritual, biblical stewardship. Boy, it's quiet in here. I love it. So Paul said, listen, systematically, weekly give. Children need to be taught. Never forget this. Our daughter Amy went through, went through college and by the grace of God got a lot of scholarships. A lot of, lot of opportunities. She went to dental school. When she got to dental school, I'll never forget it. One day she was lit up. She was excited because she had received, she had received a scholarship to dental school for about $30,000. And she was all excited. And Amy is, Amy's very smart with her finances. And so she was frugal and she was trying to figure out, now, dad, if I do this, I do this and this. And then I'll never forget. She looked at me and she said, dad, I feel like God wants me to tithe 10% of my scholarship. Now, let me tell you, as a parent, I thought you don't need to do that. You don't need to go that far. That money has been given for you to get your education. You don't need to do that. But I watched her write a check for 10% of her, scholar, her college scholarship. I meant her dental school scholarship. And I never forgot that. And I thought to myself, why? Because we taught her. 
You see, God's looking for rivers, not reservoirs. God's not trying to get a blessing to you. He's trying to get a blessing through you. And listen, when God learns that He's got a channel by which to send through, listen, you can't contain it all. There is no way, listen, there is no way we could sit down, Sheila and I, take you through our life financially, and you'd say there's no way you could make it. No way you could raise four kids. No way you could send them to college. No way you could send them to dental school school. No way they could get their master's law school. All the things that they've done. My friend, when you put God first, you can be rest assured that God will take care of everything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. That's a promise from God. Paul said to these people, you know, you you, you be faithful. You do this systematically. You do this regularly. You set aside that time. And and Paul said everybody. Notice what he says here. On the first day of the week, each one of you, everybody, every one of you, no one is excused from giving. Nobody's entitled to a free ride. I'll never forget one time we had the homeless in here. And you've heard me tell the story. They were all excited. I came in the door. Man, they were just giddy, excited. I was teaching a group of homeless men and women Sunday school. In a sanctuary class. And I said, y'all sure look mighty excited. And they said, and they pointed down and said, so-and-so got a $20 bill down here on the corner. I said, well, tell me about it. He said, man, a guy pulled up in a BMW. Rolled down his window, slipped a $20 bill into my hand. And then drove off. And that's the one you remember I told you. I said, what did he say? And they started laughing and said, he didn't say nothing. I said, well, what did he do when he looked at you? And they laughed and said, people never look at us. You know what I said to the homeless man who got the $20? I said, make sure you don't forget to tithe. Make sure you don't forget to remember to give some of that gift that God's given you back. To the body of believers. I had a homeless man pull up one time for years and years. He got out of a really nice truck. He said, Brother Jeff, do you remember me? I said, Well, I, I, I kind of do. And he said, I'm so and so. For years I was homeless. I lived back down in the woods here. I walked these streets. He said, let me tell you what happened. He said, I was in a fast food restaurant. I slipped and fell. I sued them and I got a chunk of money. He said, I bought that truck, I bought this, I bought that, I've done this, I've done that. And you know what I thought to myself? And you sorry scoundrel, you probably have given nothing to the church that many times gave you meal, many times gave you help along the way. You probably have hoarded and kept it all for yourself. And my friend, listen, he went through it in no time. Paul said, listen, this is systematic, this is everybody. It's all of us. You ever notice the widow's might? You ever remember Jesus telling that story in Mark chapter 12? You remember when Jesus told that story? You remember the Bible said that he was sitting there in the treasury and he was watching people give. And they had these big brass trumpet shaped containers that when you put money in, it made a lot of noise. And so the affluent, the wealthy would come up there and these trumpets, these brass looking instruments, these uh, these containers, they not only made a lot of noise, they were for different offerings. And so here's all these hypocritical, pharisaic, religious leaders 
affluent people and they're throwing all that money in and it's making all kinds of racket. And then all of a sudden you see this little figure and Jesus is watching. And she's, she slips up there and she pulls out two copper shavings. And she takes both of the copper shavings and she drops them in there and they hardly make a sound. And she walks away. And Jesus called his disciples over. He said, did you see that? They said, see what? You mean all these people giving? He said, no, no. That little widow, that woman. What about her, Lord? You didn't see what she did? No, Lord. We just saw her kind of go up there and do a little something. It must not have been much. We didn't even hear it. And Jesus said these words. He said, she gave all she had. She could have kept a mite. She could have gave 50%. Gave it all. Listen to me. And we'll pray in a moment. Your gift is not measured by what you give. Your gift is measured in two ways. By the sacrifice it took to give it. And by what you have after you give it. She didn't have nothing. Let me leave leave you with another thought. Jesus didn't stop her. He didn't say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, that's too much. You can't do that. Here was a poor, impoverished widow slipping up there in the midst of affluent, wealthy people, throwing in all that. And she gives everything that she has in two copper shavings. Jeffrey gave me, he gave me, um, it's a widow's mite. It was actually an archaeological dig. It's a widow's mite, and I keep it on my, I keep it on my desk. Sometimes I'll pick it up and look at it. Just looks like nothing. Just a shaving. Penta, I think they called it. Just hardly nothing. But wow. Imagine in heaven in that moment. Remember, Jesus said she gave everything that she had. When she walked away, she had nothing. Can you imagine what they were doing? Hey, let, let, me, let, me, let me say this. This is in heaven when she did that. She flips two copper shavings. Remember storing up treasures where? In heaven. What do you think's going on in heaven? Beep, 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 beep. Back her up here, boys. Okay, pull her up here. In other words, listen... While she was giving everything that she had, heaven was busy taking that and multiplying and using it beyond anything you could ever imagine. The dentist that gave 10% or more of her scholarship, who has that giving spirit to this day, who has adopted three international adoptions at great cost, The dentist who goes into public schools now with a team and assesses public school children and their dental care. You see, once you and I teach and incorporate into their life this idea of spiritual financial stewardship, they carry it through the rest of their life. It's just who they are. It's their identity. Your children need to see you anytime people are in need and hurting. 
Your children need to see you instinctively responding to that. You may say, well, does that mean I stop at every homeless person standing on a street corner? Listen, you may not have the money to stop. You may not have the time to stop. But if your heart doesn't at least convict you to stop, then you got a problem. If you don't see the need and you don't hear the heart of the broken and the hurting, my friend, that's the problem. You say, well, I don't have a lot of money. We're not just talking about money, talking about time. Ask a waitress. Ask somebody who waits on other people, who works in restaurant management who's managing people while at the same time, sometimes having to cover the floor and do and wear all those different hats. And ask sometimes how Christian people, suppose Christian people teach or treat waitresses and waiters. Hey, if you can't afford to tie, if you can't afford to tip, you don't need to be eating out. You go to McDonald's, you've not earned the right to sit down in a restaurant and eat. And if you allow your child to sit there and throw garbage everywhere and you leave Cracker Barrel looking like a like a war zone after your child's been sitting there then shame on you and until you can teach them how to behave in a restaurant stay at home you see when you and I have a spirit of stewardship of giving it's not just about money it's about time it's about kindness. It's about being gentle with people. It's about giving our time, our talent, our effort. It's not just about being waited on. It's about taking the waitress's hand and saying, hey, listen, you look like you're having a bad day. Before we pray, could we pray for you? What could we pray for you about? And they start crying. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Lord, for every man or woman, boy or girl who calls themselves a Christian, a follower of Christ, may you reach down deep into their soul. And if that heart has become hardened, if, dear Lord, a person who claims to be a follower of Christ is, dear Lord, doesn't have that giving, that, that spirit just willingly gives, then Lord, convict them right now. And may they begin to realize that any man or woman that lacks that spirit of stewardship, that spirit of giving, that willingness to just be a poured out offering, as Paul, the Apostle Paul said, may, dear Lord, you move in their heart. There's nothing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Boy, that's so true. The word blessed means happy. It's a lot of fun to give. Wow, it is. It's fun to give. Yesterday, Sheila and I were going home and she was talking about a some kind of food thing or another that we've been looking at. And she smiled and said, I said, well, you can order that. She said that uh, somebody already did that for me. Lord, may we have that kind of spirit. We see need. We minister to people. And Lord, may we also understand that even within the body of Christ, even within the kingdom of God, you've called us to be faithful in our giving. Lord, I'm not looking for a raise. I'm, I make what I make. I'm happy with what I get. It's not about anything, about building projects, not about personal pleasures. It's simply about equipping us to be able to do what we do. 
This church never turns anybody away. So Lord, may you use us. And may, dear Lord, you work in our hearts. And dear Lord, may we lead this place with a giving spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And Lord, if there's one person here that doesn't know you, may they come today, give their life to you. Whatever their need may be, may they come. And we pray this again in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.